0: Hello everybody, this is Kevin Witham, and welcome to season two of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone-Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one, so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where our purpose is to have dialogue and discussions with people across the streams of the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement. We're seeking, in part, to be an answer to Jesus' prayer for unity in John 17. We're currently in a series focused on spiritual formation and its relationship to unity, and our guests today are Dr. Tim Robinson and Dr. Casey Tigret, and we are super excited to have them with us. Uh, Kevin is not with us again today, so it's going to be just me and our two great guests. And so uh, thanks listeners for joining us. Uh, Dr. Tim Robinson serves as longer Associate Professor of Spiritual Resources and Disciplines at the Bright Divinity School at Texas Christian University. He teaches spiritual life and leadership, eco-justice and spirituality, transforming practices, spirituality, leadership, and justice, among other courses. He holds a PhD from Graduate Theological Union an MDiv from Emanuel School of Religion, and a BA from Milligan College. Prior to his service at Bright, he served as a pastor or associate pastor at various congregations in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, including one in Louisville, Kentucky, where I am. Uh, He's married and has uh, two kids, Isaac and Lydia, and two bonus children, Anna and Miriam, and we are super excited to have Tim with us. We have also Dr. Casey Tigret and he serves as the theologian in residence at Parkview Christian Church in Illinois. He's the spiritual director at Soul Care and an adjunct professor at Lincoln Christian University. He's a consultant with the Apprentice Institute at Friends University and the creator of the Otherwise podcast. He authored Becoming Curious, a spiritual practice of asking questions. As I recall, discovering the place of memories in our spiritual life, and he has a new book coming in April of 2023. He holds a doctorate of ministry from Lincoln Christian University, a master's of divinity and spiritual formation, and a BA in religion from Mount Vernon Nazarene University. He's married to Holly, and they have a 15 year old daughter, Bailey. He likes long walks on the beach and sarcasm is his love language. So he will fit in just perfect with this crew. So thanks guys so much for being with us. Uh, Let's just jump in. Uh, I'm going to start with like an easy, really super light question. Where is the Stone Campbell movement as it relates to spiritual formation right now? Just anybody want to try that?
2: Thank you for, thank you for not throwing us in the deep end. This is just light and fun. From the seat that I sit in, uh, the church I serve, what I notice is that uh, maybe now, and I don't want to say now more than ever because that really has a, that's way too generalizing, but I I think there is a hunger right now in people, and, and maybe it's, maybe it is a post pandemic kind of thing, but there is a hunger in people not to return to the way that they were before their life uh, went into lockdown or whatever. I think there's a ruthless refusal to things being the same. And I think that applies to the spiritual journey as well. If there was a, not even a lukewarmness, but if there was a stuckness, if there was, a, if there was anything that, was, that felt like a hangup, I feel like there's an energy right now towards not going back to that. And some of that is recovering older traditions. Some of that is conversations across, bound. I mean, we're so much more connected now and so many more resources. So conversations across traditions uh, as we increase in our courage to be able to do that. So I, I think where we are right now is, I think it's an incredibly fertile time for the conversation around spiritual formation with the little asterisk on there that like, that language is super foreign. Like, what does that word even mean? How do I, you know, is this something I should even look into? And is formation biblical? Like all of a sudden, this rain shower of questions can emerge from that. But I don't think it really changes the heart of, I I think there's a desire when people, people, I work with people in spiritual direction. And when I talk about formation or direction, they go, I don't know what that means. Here's what I do know. I want to be a part of that. Like there's a hunger in me for that, even though I have no clue maybe what it looks like practically.
1: Yeah. Tim, what do you think?
3: Well, uh, I, I was formed, uh, grew up in the uh, uh, Christian churches and churches of Christ uh, uh, branch of the uh, Stone Campbell movement. But I've spent almost my entire ministry career and uh, academic career uh, in disciples of Christ uh, communities and contexts and institutions. And so I can speak a little bit to that, uh, you know, that wing of the movement. Um, and the disciples have since our kind of, uh, you know, our settling out in the sixties of, uh, of, uh, distinguishing ourselves from, uh, the other streams of the movement have considered ourselves a part of, for lack of a a better term, mainline Protestantism, uh, mainline progressive Protestantism. And so I think disciples are uh, in some ways very much in in similar places as other mainline progressive uh, Protestant churches uh, in terms of spirituality and formation. Um, It it was, uh, you know, mainline progressive Protestantism, and and that includes the disciples uh, uh, who are deeply, stoneite and cambellian uh, in different uh, you know in different ways uh, very committed to reason rationality uh, having a reasonable faith uh, being active uh, you know action oriented um, and it was sometime in the late 20th century that uh, much of mainline Protestantism disciples included, Uh, recognized that there was something missing, that we had missed something uh, about uh, the depths of the life of faith. And for lack of a better term, we call that spirituality. Uh, And so uh, people started uh, to look to our Roman Catholic and our Eastern Orthodox and and to an extent our Episcopal uh, sisters and brothers uh, to their traditions, to their practices um to because there was the you know casey used the term hunger there was some kind of a hunger for a depth dimension of the experience of faith that had been missing and and so i would say that where we are you know the last 30 years or so have been a really rich and fertile time uh as you know my position as an academic person as a teacher uh, and scholar of christian spirituality um uh, is, has coincided with the rise of uh, Christian spirituality and spiritual formation as academic fields that are now oriented into theological education curricula. Um, and you know, the, our accrediting agencies that accredit places like Lincoln Christian Seminary and, and Bright Divinity School, uh, part of our standard is to attend to the spiritual formation of our students um and and so and i see that both in in churches and in uh in, and in my students uh this kind of hunger for a depth dimension of 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 uh, spiritual experience and wondering where that comes from what resources do we have what traditions are there and and some of those uh come from a long history that we share with uh, other uh you know other flavors and branches of of the christian family and others are uh, right within our own uh, traditions, our own Protestant traditions. so things like uh, you know contemplative forms of prayer and uh, spiritual uh, uh, spiritual direction, as Casey mentioned and, uh, and and other kinds of practices that we've looked to to, to try to uh, tap into that uh, as I would say, the, the death dimension or that lived experiential aspect uh, of faith that. Uh, maybe we had kind of ignored for too long.
1: Do you think that like, uh, like in your position, Casey, you're coming from like a church context, Tim, you're coming from the academic world. Do you see the openness of people who are wanting to explore more contemplative, more um, like, Spiritual formation, do you see that it's supported in the local church? Or is there still a ways to go in in the way those two things connect? Like with where people are wanting to try to go, the way the the academic side is trying to equip. And then at the local church level, are are people Received. I know in my context, I'm Christian church, and I said something about someone uh, needing a referral for a spiritual director, and you know, (laughs) he was like, What? (laughs) So that might just be my experience, but do you think that how do you see those things moving together to get closer?
2: Um, I would love to hear. I would love to hear Tim's take on this too, because I think he's right. The fact that we have academic programs in this is a very strong signal of how powerful uh, spiritual formation is in local churches. I I think there's a couple of things that get in the way, not get in the way, but they they cause a little bit of static when you start talking about formation in the local church. One is ecclesiology. Um, If we're built on kind of a, If you're a church that's built on an attractional model, let's say in, in, you know, I think restoration movement churches, especially independent side, has some of some of the larger churches in the country. And you really are about a kind of a salvation experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that a lot of times in those contexts, reaching people, moving people to a point of conversion or reconversion is in giant font. And very intentional and very strategic. And then discipleship is sort of organic, but almost organic to the point of being accidental. Like if that happens, great, but that's not something that we're going to lean into. The other side is, I think just again, a confusion of language and a bit of fear about the language of spiritual, even the word spiritual, and then add formation to it, and you know, for people who lived through the bruhaha that came out when Richard Foster's book *Celebration of Discipline* came out, there was this massive backlash about it. When all he's really talking about are very practical disciplines, but I think that language—it came out for me when I was doing my uh, my D thesis, and my advisor, who's a wonderful guy, uh, he said, "Oh, so you're doing it in spiritual formation?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah, I, I'm old enough to remember when we used to call that Christian education," and I was like, "Oh." This is this is a language question for you, not yeah. so much an I. You know, it's more about teaching and ideas, and to Tim's point earlier, really getting to the heart is uh, a move that has to be made in order so that it doesn't just become really intelligent people who have no character transformation whatsoever. Yeah. I think we all know people who know the Bible completely and fully, and yet are tremendous jerks. And that's one of those things that happens when we don't allow knowledge to influence character change. And so that's, those are the two things I think from the local church level, where it's being very intentional about how we talk about it and how leadership models it. Um, I think if a, if a senior pastor were to model something like a practice of Sabbath rest, that could go a long way towards completely transforming a congregation and then also making it more a part of our intentional strategic mission as a church that we're here not only so that you might find your way to Christ but also so that Christ might find his way into you and you would be transformed from the inside out and that's that for me that's the that's the like tuning fork that gets struck in my soul whenever i read people like Dallas Willard and just that language of this is where it really those two pieces, that grace lived and graced experienced really come together. So, yeah, so that's from my side. Um, I'd love to hear what Tim says about that.
3: Yeah, I think you're, uh, I would completely agree that there's a, well, this is a great point Casey makes that uh, part of it is about language. You know, one of my my great loves is studying the history, the long history of Christian spirituality. You know, there are various models for spiritual formation that that have different language attached to them over the 2000 year history of the, of the church. Uh, you mentioned discipleship. That's one, you know, that's a uh, uh, discipleship is uh, uh, another term for spiritual formation, Um Uh, you know, formation in, or um, living into holiness, you know, out of your, uh, your Wesleyan or holiness background there, uh, Casey is, is another, you know, uh, walking in the way of of Christ or being formed in the image of Christ. I mean, there are all sorts of, there's all sorts of language, both biblical and theological that names this phenomenon that we're talking about. Um, and, And I think that the you know there are all sorts of formation practices that that we engage week to week and day to day that uh, sometimes are not recognized as practices of what you know the term we're using spiritual formation. So uh, po- corporate worship and you know the Lord's Supper every week that, that's a that's a historic and deeply. Uh, foundational fundamental practice of spiritual formation you know any any form of prayer into which one enters is a kind of a forming uh, forming practice so um I, I would agree that there there are uh part of this is language so we're we're adopting some things we got excited about in that you know 30 years ago is in that history i was talking about a, a bit ago when we were saying hey we we don't have any practices what do we do uh, hey, spiritual direction, you know that's a that's something that the that's in our history, but it's not something that's necessarily in our more recent history. So spiritual companionship, spiritual friendship, um you know uh, accountability partners uh, there there are a whole range of um, forms and language that these practices have taken that are uh, very similar. To uh, what we're talking about here, but we've named them in different ways. What we're getting at is not just people who who know the answers to a to a test, but um, uh, you know, persons who have a deeply formed sense of, of self and a developed uh, sense of, of uh, practical wisdom.
1: Okay, so on with that in mind. So, how did you? both of you move from this knowing to more being moving like deepening into so for many of us like spiritual formation is a newer thing we're exploring but this has been present in your all's life for a long time over a long period so how did like how did god move you into like this understanding and this thirst for like not just for yourself but like Walking alongside others to to be part of this deepening of your relationship with Christ.
3: I, I would say, uh, if you don't mind me going first, um, and hopefully this will will be a coherent thread here. Um, uh, first, I want to define what I mean by spiritual formation, and so I, I often give groups and students. I begin, you know, my intro class and spiritual life with a little exercise, just list all the things you do to nurture your spirit and give them a few minutes to, 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 don't give any more definition uh, than that around it. What do you do to nurture your spirit or nurture your soul? uh, and just let them list the practices. And then we sort of popcorn them out, you know, and put them all up on the board. And then we start to sort through it and say, well, what do you notice about this? What surprises you? What, uh, you know, and a lot of them are things, you know, uh, sometimes people go right to prayer, Bible study, you know, worship right, right at first. And sometimes it takes us 10 minutes to get to those sorts of things that we might call of traditionally pious practices. So all kinds of things get on that board, from gardening to walking your dog to, you know, exercising and being in nature to, uh, you know, coffee with friends or whatever. Uh, and so part of the noticing in that, so what does this tell us about the nature of spiritual formation? Well, uh, it, for one thing, it's holistic, right? It, it involves all of our and lives. Uh, two, it's, it's every, it's an everyday sort of thing. There are all sorts of things that we do every day that we don't even recognize are ways that we nurture our spirits. And so three, that leads to a kind of a definition of spiritual formation, which is anything you do that enhances or nurtures, um, that depth dimension of your faith or that, um, uh, you know, uh, brings you into deeper knowledge of, of God or a sense of God's presence in, in in your life. So that just to say that's that's kind of a definition that I carry of, of, of spiritual formation is anything that that we do that uh, those practices any practice that we do that that nurtures that uh, sense of closeness to to the divine. Uh, it wasn't really conscious though until. I think uh, I was hanging out with Tina in Louisville in the early nineties, right? Fresh out of seminary and pastoring a a small church in the, in the city. And uh, we had a group of, we were a part of a group of of friends who were mostly, uh, you know, they were artists and musicians and uh, uh, philosophy and literature graduate students. And, and most of them were ex Christian in some way, and some not at all. And, some still identified as Christian, but had had enough of uh, the institutional forms of it. Uh, and and they, were, they were what I, th- that first wave, I guess, that scholars now identify as spiritual, not religious, because these people were deeply uh, uh, spiritual. You know, they, they were seekers. Um, they had big questions. Uh, they cared about the world and their place in it and how they might contribute to its flourishing. Uh, and they express that spirituality through their, um, through their art, through their music, through their, uh, sense of, uh, care in, in community, uh, you know, f- among those friends and friendship. And that was, that was a moment when, uh, I recognized something, something moving there. And, um, I mean, some of them knew this was when the that wave of, uh, historical Jesus scholarship was coming out, John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg. And, you know, they were devour, some of them were devouring stuff like, uh, uh, you know, Tina, Danny knew more about Jesus than most of the 75 year olds in my church, you know, who had been there for, <laughs> who had been in religious education or Christian education for 50 years. Um, and, and we're really curious about, about, you know, what that meant, uh, what he meant, um, so uh, that that really got me started i mean there's a lot more to it after that but that that got me started on a journey of of uh reading the classics reading uh this long history that i've talked about already and and asking well how does that speak to these these people who are the you know the spiritual not religious if you will and uh um, and so that kind of launched me into um uh, an academic career uh, in which I was studying that stuff and trying to figure out what it means in, in the lives of, of people, not just uh, who have been in churches for a long time, but also those who um, often are, you know, church people look down their noses at the spiritual, not religious, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as if there's something wrong with them, but, but they were, they were the ones who were, um who were hungry, you know, for this depth dimension of experience and wondered if there was something in some religious tradition, uh, like Christianity or some other one that could speak to that. So that's that, That's kind of how I started down this path of, of really intentionally um, uh, wanting to study and, and think about the field of spirituality and formation.
2: I, I would say some of, some of my story would be similar there. I, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene and um, a fairly not, and, and this is not a broad brush, not all churches of the Nazarene are this way, but the ones that I grew up in were fairly fundamentalist. I grew up in southern West Virginia, so uh, I think there's a difference between southern churches of one denomination and northern churches, Yankee churches, if you will, of another denomination and are the same, And um, I just grew up with this, like my container, my initial container of faith was very rigid, was very formal. And when I went to Bible college, I had the combination of being uh, 18, 19, and 20 and knowing everything and being completely indestructible. So that was one. Number two, I had a group of friends who all believed the same thing. And so in Bible college, we sort of became like the dead poet society. So we read all the stuff we weren't supposed to read and Uh, we had the conversations we weren't supposed to have, but in, in all of that, I, I ran into an author named Henry Nowen and ended up reading a book called in the, uh, life of the beloved. And there was something about what I was reading that, you know, I, I know there's the passage in John 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that that goes a lot of different directions. But I've always loved the fact that the word truth there can also mean reality. And I, I think there's something about that Aletheia reality kind of truth that you just you you stumble across something and you just know that it's real. Like it's legitimate. I can't I can't quantify it. I can't explain it, but I just know that it's real. And there was something about Henry Nowen that really just connected with a part of me, a part of me that was neglected and probably not well-defined. And so I began from his teaching to explore things like silence and solitude, um, memorizing scripture, uh, some of the other classic practices of spiritual, spiritual disciplines, and started from there and then moved up to the idea that, you know, spiritual formation is not the same thing as the disciplines. The disciplines are vehicles that change us so that we can become, we can be formed into the image of Christ. And so I began over years learning that. And then as I started pastoring, I noticed that there was a gap between what people knew of their faith and what it was doing to them. So as I mentioned earlier, like I knew plenty of people who could quote chapter and verse from like obscure minor prophets but they just did not love the person down the street from them who was a different color. And I thought, how, why, where's the gap here? And I do believe that's a formation gap. That's a gap where the truth of the gospel hasn't sunk into our being. It's sunk into our recognition or our cognition. Uh, But we kind of get stuck at the cross, and we don't ever get past that into, what does life look like if you are now one in whom Christ dwells and delights? you know, if, if Colossians three is a reality describing kind of passage where you're hidden in Christ, what does that mean? What does that mean for your marriage, for your neighbor? And so formation for me is not just, that all sounds like sermon application, but it really is the life of a changed character. And so my own journey was running into some of those things, you know, growing up in the South, I, I picked up a ton of, a ton of racism. And from the people who loved me the most and I loved the most. And so it took a long time to be able to draw those things out and the spirit just critiquing that and saying, I know you love that person, but you know, this is, this is part of your operating system and it shapes the way you see everything. Uh, So I, I, my journey was really formation started to critique parts of me that I didn't, I didn't know were there, or that I did know were there, but I didn't think needed to be. Well, that's fine. Let's not mess with that. And then, and then it turned out that it did need to be messed with. And um, I, I always depend on the spirit to mess with my stuff, and uh, in the best of ways. And and so that really is how I I launched out into the the journey of talking about formation, spiritual direction for me has been a lot about understanding. That our life with God is like our relationship with another person, is that it goes through stages and developmental spaces, and so just like a marriage goes from the honeymoon to the normalcy to the the middle path, middle path where it's sometimes feels like routine and sometimes feels like drudgery, but you're you're committed to each other despite uh, all the you know the feelings and the buzz that comes early on. Um, I started to realize that our our life with God is the same. There are these stages we progress through, and so being a spiritual director gives me the opportunity to, and seeing a director myself gives me the opportunity to walk with people as they go through each of those stages. Uh, because if there's no shepherding there, if there's no help to go through those, it it's going to come out somewhere. It's not like something you just ignore. It's not like that thing in your car where you just turn the radio up louder. You know, oh, I didn't hear that. That's that's not really happening. It, it will come back over and over again. And I watch it happen in either people who double down on legalism, thinking that maybe I just need to be more faithful, which is not the same thing, or they just abandon everything completely. And I think early on in my ministry, I was watching people go through what we'd now call deconstruction, uh, where they were tearing apart certain parts of their faith and no one was there to help them rebuild it. Um, things that had helped them believe to that point in their life started to, started to crumble and started to fall apart. So being a director allowed me the opportunity to say, that's actually pretty normal. You know, when we hear there's a time and season for everything, a time to build, tear down and a time to build up that, that might be, I don't want to put words in the, in the writer's mouth, but that might be what we're talking about here. Like faith grows through changes. You go through changes. So let's walk through this together and let's help rebuild that so that for me has been the really important part is the way that, that God through others and through the conversation and the writings and the practices of formation has helped me take apart things and put them back together in a way that I hope, I don't know that it has, but I hope has made me a, a bit more humble, but also has made me into more of the person that God had in mind when I was you know, formed in my mother's womb. And I, that, that should be the, the end goal of formation should be a wise life that really resembles the person we were always designed to be. And so that's the thing that's kept the fire of it burning for me, even when, you know, there've been criticisms of all oh, this is new age, or oh, you don't really care about the Bible, or, you know, this is all some sort of, it's not, it's detached from practical life. Um, and that's what I've loved Dallas Willard for so much is he, he says, you know, the gospel can be tested. You can take it out for a spin and live it and see what happens. It's a verifiable body of true knowledge. And uh, I think that's really helpful for, especially for me when I hear that feedback about, oh, it's just detached from reality. And it's, you know, dudes with long beards sitting on mountaintops, thinking big thoughts. Like, no, it's, Single moms in the grocery store trying to figure out how to live without anger. That's that's what this is. It's that kind of body of knowledge and wisdom that can be tested. So that's that's really kept the fire burning for me over the years for for formation.
1: What is what is something that you all have seen that helps us get unstuck from the being uh, to the way that we're wired to. Um, perform to check off the list. We've been to church. We've, um, we're have we in an accountability group or whatever the programs are at our church. How do we get unstuck from what we do to, to who we are or how to be with God rather than do for God?
3: Here's one of those places where the question doesn't, I mean, I've heard this question many times and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm 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 wrestling with how to how I might rephrase it. Uh, so often students or persons in churches or whatever want to know, well, what do I do? You know, what do I do to uh, uh, what what practices are? They? You know, they're looking for magic practices that that create experiences or make them more whatever spiritual. And so you you know, and I often give assignments in which you know you need to go and and choose a practice, a classic practice from Christian history, and do it for you know the semester, and then reflect on it. And but one of the the things that I, uh, I, I say in making those assignments is to say, do you know, choose something, choose a plan, choose a practice, choose a discipline that's doable for one thing, uh, because it sh- this shouldn't be, and maybe this. Um, Gets to, you know, gets to what you're saying, Tina, or asking, uh, Tina, is that, um, it, yeah, it shouldn't be just something else that causes you to be discouraged when you fail to accomplish it or achieve it, right? So, I alternatively, I, I like to ask people uh, when they're thinking about these, this thing, this matter, this, you know, how do I become more spiritual? Uh, is is to ask, well, what, what do you hope the practice does to you with you? Like, what do you, what do you long to become? So I want to, I want to approach it from um, a sense of, of longing or desire. Like what are you? what are the deepest desires that you have for yourself and for the world? And how, you know, how do you imagine You might join your deep desires to the world, you know, what you also deeply desire for the rest of the world. So that shifts the ground, for me at least, it shifts the ground from achievement-oriented approaches, you know, and discouragement that, uh, that occurs when, you know, you said you were going to do this discipline every day for 20 minutes or whatever, and you haven't done it for two weeks now. And so you're just going to give up because you can't get it done. And, uh, or you tried this form of prayer and it didn't work. You didn't, you know, nothing, you didn't hear any angel choirs or, uh, you know, have a, have a deep uh, sense of oneness with the universe. And so uh, rather, what is it, what is it that you long for? Not, not what is it that uh, you think you ought to be doing to be better (laughs) somehow, but uh, what, what, for what do you long uh, in in yourself and and in the world? So maybe that's just, that's just one suggestion of a way to begin to think about that question.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think my my response would be very similar to, to that. And it is for me, the fact that too often when we talk about formation, um, we do go to the, the doing really quickly because spiritual disciplines have been so far out in the front of that discussion, but more so because, you know, if I think about when people are a part of our church and they say, you know, I've become a Christian, what should I do? Um, We tell them what to do, but we never really talk about why. I mean, we may mention that from the side. We kind of come in the side door with that and say, well, and and we don't articulate it well. And I think what we lose is this opportunity to really create a compelling vision. Like I think all of formation is driven by that desire, that longing. It's driven by a vision of what would it be like if uh, this particular thing happened? So if you had a particular strong compelling vision of i could become like jesus in this way in this part of my life like is that strong enough to be able to drag you out of bed in the morning to spend time in quiet so that you approach the world from a posture of peace rather than a posture of anxiety and not clinical anxiety but i mean that general form of anxiety of i just i, I don't i i think everybody's out to get me and you know that sort of that sort of edginess that we have With the world sometimes and but what if you started the day with the fact that um you're with the shepherd and you don't have you don't need anything you you lack nothing you begin the day there is it strong enough for you to to not hit the snooze button but instead be able to enter into that practice so i think the being and doing part some of it is about vision i think some of it's our theology we have in some ways so bought into the uh, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, or the uh, the depravity conversation. We've bought into it so deeply. I think it's important to talk about, but we've bought into it so deeply that we've created so much distance between us and God that has to be bridged, which is true. We don't know how to live with a bri- that distance bridged. So... You know, what does it mean then to think that in Genesis 1, 31, God looks at all creation and says it's very good and never goes back on that? What, how do we live by that original blessing, knowing that God has bridged this gap in our theology now it says you're, you're one in whom um, Christ dwells and delights. And since that's the case, if that's who you are, then what do you, what do, you do now? you know, what is the next, the next step? And I think formation has a wonderful conversation to have right there and say, here's, you can now become the person that God has made you to be. And this is because this is something that is a gift to you and you can fail. You can fail spectacularly. Uh, I hope because I have, I mean, today, not not even like in the last hour and a half. but you can fail spectacularly at this and it doesn't change your core identity. So the doing, I think, becomes a lot easier when it's no longer about performative faith. Uh, It is more about you are already this person. You've discovered that through the person of Jesus. Now, since that's the case, what do you do now? Where do you go from here? I think that's the power that formation offers us in this conversation.
3: I I would just add to amplify that a little bit uh is to say that there there is no uh in in the whole long history of uh, christian spirituality there's never been one one right way right uh, the, uh i once had a student who said well i'm in this class because as we did a little you know uh introduction exercise why are, why are you here what do you hope for out of this class and somebody said well i want to learn the right way to pray I'm like well you're in the wrong class for one thing uh in the wrong school, et cetera, wrong professor. Uh, because one of the, th- the things that the, the long history of Christian spirituality shows us is the diverse forms uh, that spiritual practice takes. And there are I, I like what I like to call, um, you know, Christians have found uh, particular practices to be reliable in uh, enhancing one's awareness of God's presence and action in their lives. But those those uh, practices have never been the ends in and of themselves. So getting the practice right is, <clears throat> or doing it perfectly or doing it enough is has never been the point. So it's not an end in itself. It is, uh, you know, those practices have been those uh, things that we do to uh, kind of, as I say, enhance our awareness of uh, the presence that is already uh, and always. Uh, before us, behind us, uh, and upholding us um, and and they've changed, so people have been going about their business, trying to conform to what their monastic order or what the church or what their you know community uh has said was the the authorized way to pray or the authorized way to practice. Faith, and they had some kind of powerful experience uh, that uh, overflowed the boundaries of what they knew, uh, overflowed the boundaries uh, uh, that had been given to them. Whether those were theological in nature uh, or uh, you know praxis oriented, or uh, you know had something to do with community mores, overflowed the boundaries of of what. They had been given, and often that led to new forms. So I think of just one example: uh, if, if to uh, is the Ignatius of Loyola, uh, and the founder of the Jesuit order. So Ignatius is uh, recouping from an injury he sustained in battle. He's reading um, a life of Jesus uh, that was a devotional book of the time, and, and he has this incredible powerful mystical experience and it's out of that that experience that uh he founds this order which has this whole new form of of you know that we call it the spiritual exercises the retreat in daily life people still do it uh today uh with the the guidance of a spiritual director both in uh you know the jesuit order and in other catholic uh, contexts and now in protestant contexts um and a form of discernment that is so incredibly powerful that that uh, uh, that it's probably the the way in which you know uh, the the thing that we uh, often mean in circles I run in when we talk about discernment we're talking about Ignatian discernment, and it was because uh, you know he was this 16th century um, Spanish um, um, person who had this powerful experience of jesus in reading something traditional but that just exploded the boundaries of what he knew or what he had been taught or what he had received uh, and issued in a new form of spirituality that echoes uh to today and is constantly being adapted to different contexts in different ways today even so i so i i just like to you know tell people who are struggling with these kinds of issues that that uh, there's, there's never been one, one thing, there's never been one way to, you know, the, that's the right way to do it. Uh, and the, the particular uh, forms of practice themselves have never been the point, uh, never been an end in themselves, but only a, a means toward, uh, toward getting toward that, that, you know, sense of desire for what, what you hope to become.
1: You know, this conversation has, it's kind of like uh, when you look at something and then you just turn it a half turn and then you see it totally from a new perspective. And and this conversation, um, I hope for our listeners as well as for me, has helped reframe kind of this, the words that we use about spiritual disciplines versus spiritual formation and the depth of it and how it is evolving and So I'm really excited that we have you guys back for another podcast. Uh, So I hope our listeners will join us again when uh, we go into a conversation about making room for God. So with uh, Dr. Tim Robinson and Dr. Casey Tigrett. And so uh, we'll see you next time on the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.